I don't know if you know it or not, but um, this being Easter, the church board wanted to make it um, kind of a big special day, and so they thought they would invite the, uh, the best preacher that they knew to come and speak this morning. They asked him, but he said no. So then they, they got together again and they said, well, if we can't have the, the best preacher, uh, at least we could have the smartest preacher that we know. And so they asked him, but he said no. And then they, um, they said, well, if we can't have the, the best preacher or the smartest preacher, maybe we should get the, the best looking preacher that we know. And um, they asked him, but he said no. So then they got together again, and, and I heard all this, you know, behind the scenes afterwards. They got, got together again, and, and they said, well, if we can't have the best preacher or the smartest preacher or the best-looking preacher, maybe we could just have our preacher. And so they asked me, and I said, I mean, what could I say? They, I'd said no to them three times, so I, <laughs> I had to... It is a privilege to speak to you on, uh, on this Easter Sunday from God's Word. It is the culmination of the, of the church calendar, the day that changed history forever. It's, it's been a great celebration thus far as we have, have worshipped together. Today we're starting a, a, a series addressing some frequently asked questions that, that come up uh, in, uh, in religious circles, I guess, in Christianity. Uh, people have been asking questions regarding these spiritual things uh, uh, for, for years. Over the past few weeks, many of you have, have submitted uh, your own questions, things you've been wondering, or maybe things that people have asked you and you didn't necessarily know the answer to. Or, uh, it's been great to see uh, those questions Come in. You, you find a, a list there of, of where we're heading uh, on the schedule there on the back of your of your program. That's not so you can just plan to come to two or three and the others don't apply. Don't uh, don't think that. But you'll know kind of where we're heading. Maybe you find some questions on there that you've been asking, or maybe you weren't asking those questions. But now that that question's asked, you go, "Oh yeah, I wonder about that." So anyway, those uh, that's that's where we're heading uh, in this series. I would also welcome your, your feedback. Uh, uh, a sermon, uh, I can, I guess, just give you what I think, but I think a lot of these things may be, uh, may be kind of complicated. And so as we, as we come to these, maybe uh, email me, uh, call me, text me, take me to lunch. That would be a great thing to do if you want to discuss these things. Um, or if you just want to have lunch. But uh, anyway, um, a lot is involved in these things, and, and perhaps more than what we can we can cover in a message. Um, be, before we go too far, I also want you to know that that I'll bring I'll be bringing you answers to the to the best of my ability. I'll be bringing you answers from the Bible, from God's Word. Uh, so when the Bible is clear, I will be clear. When the Bible gives direction. Uh, maybe some principles and guidelines, maybe not specifically crystal clear, but gives directions, I'll, I'll do my best to give direction. Uh, when the Bible is silent on some of these topics, I'll just, you know, make something up. So I'm just kidding, I won't, I won't do that. But there may be times when we, when we give our best uh, thoughtful answer and opinion, uh, an opinion based on the scholarly work and on what, uh, what I feel God is leading, but I'll let you know in advance that that's kind of where I'm heading, that, that okay, well, Scripture is kind of silent on this, but this is where it looks like uh, we, should, we should come on those, 
those things. So uh, when the Bible is clear, I'll be clear. When the Bible gives direction, I'll give, the, give direction. When the Bible is silent, we'll, uh, we'll study strong and we'll look at the, the, the tradition and history of the church and uh, find things that, that, uh, that, that correlate there. The question we're tackling on this Easter Sunday is a question that Jesus asked his disciples. Uh, it's a foundational question, and, and it really matters how we answer it. We, we need to get this, this answer right. Not answering it or being confused in our answer really isn't an option. We, we have to get this right. We have to settle the question. The question is, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you, psychologist Milton Rokich years ago wrote a book called The Three Christs of Ypsilanti. In it, he described his attempts to treat three patients at a psychiatric hospital. Their names were Leon, Joseph, and Clyde. And they all suffered from the, the same delusion, delusions of grandeur. Each one believed that he was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ, who had been called to save the world. Dr. Rokich found it difficult to deal uh, or to, to kind of break in on these uh, delusions, uh, and so he decided to try something maybe a little bit out of the box. He put them all in the same group together. And so for two years, uh, these three delusional messiahs were assigned to adjacent beds. They, 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 they ate uh, every meal together. They worked at the same jobs, and they met daily for group discussion. Uh, Dr. Rokich wanted to see if rubbing against others who also claimed the same delusion might diminish their own delusions. And it led to some interesting conversations. One would claim, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. I was sent here to save the earth. And Dr. Rokich said, well, how do you know that? And he, resp- he would respond, well, God told me. And one of the other ones would jump in and say, no, I didn't. <laughs> Who is Jesus to you? Certainly, Jesus is not Leon, Joseph, or Clyde. They were delusional. But how do we know that Jesus wasn't delusional? It- as we read this, uh, Matthew 16, we, we see that uh, Jesus had been with his disciples for some time. His ministry had gone on. Uh, this was toward the end uh, of, his, uh, of his ministry. Uh, and, and so he, he first asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who are people, what are people saying? Uh, who do people, where, where have they kind of come down on this? And, and so the answer was actually pretty good. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. I mean, in other words, people were saying that, that, that Jesus was pretty incredible. I mean, there weren't a whole lot of people that were being mistaken for Elijah back at that point. Elijah was, was kind of the top-tier uh, prophet of, of old times in, in the Jewish world. These were the kind of the who's who of the, of the, the prophets of the, 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 the Jewish spiritual world. It's certainly a a far cry from saying that Jesus was off his rocker and delusional. They were acknowledging something there, that that, that there was something to this Jesus, but maybe they didn't quite go far enough. They responded, the people responded, a a lot like many people might respond if we asked them that question today. According to a recent survey completed by the, uh, the Barna Group, 92% of Americans believe that Jesus was a real person who actually lived here on earth. But only 50% believe that he is God, and 25% say that he was just a religious spiritual leader, kind of in the same vein as Muhammad or Buddha. 
Many people acknowledge that, that Jesus was a, was a good guy and taught some good things. But maybe that doesn't quite go far enough. So Jesus pressed the issue. Not only what, what are all those people saying, but now he's asking his inner circle, and he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And it's a question that echoes down through history and comes to each and every person who's ever lived. What are we going to do with Jesus? Who do you say that he is in your life? Peter jumped right in, divinely inspired, and he said, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He'd gotten it right, and that didn't always happen with Peter. Peter sometimes didn't always say the right things. Messiah, or, or Christ, uh, is, uh, is, is probably a word we don't necessarily use. Every, well, maybe some of you do use it every day, but maybe not in the right context. Um, uh, it, it's, the, it's the same, it's that, that word Christ, uh, or Messiah, uh, Despite what you might think, Christ was not Jesus' last name. His last name was probably Carpenter. I don't know, I'm just guessing there, but maybe. Christ or or Messiah means Savior or Anointed One, one sent to save. And Peter recognized that that's who Jesus was. He had been sent to save. But not even Peter really knew everything about what he was saying at that point. Uh, They didn't have a clear understanding yet of what kind of redemption or salvation that Jesus was bringing. Many, if not most, of the, the, the Jews were looking for a Messiah at that time, someone to save, but they were looking for someone to come in and overthrow the Roman Empire to, to physically establish an earthly kingdom right then, uh, get rid of the, uh, the, these, uh, this oppressive government, and move in. They were looking for a political re- uh, leader, maybe a military leader. Some were looking for the Messiah to, to fix their problems or to bring abundant blessing, to bring prosperity upon them. Uh, this was the Messiah or the Christ they were looking for. And in many ways, things haven't changed much today as well. There are still people looking for a political Messiah who is going to come and revamp governments and make life better for all of us. That hasn't worked very well in the past and probably not going to work very well in the future, no matter who's in office. Some are looking not just for a political Messiah, but uh, some are looking for a supernatural social worker kind of Christ, Uh, someone who will heal their diseases or fix their finances or restore their relationships. And while Jesus can and does certainly do those things, it's not his primary role. So Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah. But not only uh, did he identify Jesus as the Messiah, he also called him the Son of the living God. And in that, Peter was recognizing that Jesus wasn't just a religious, social, or political leader. He was, in fact, God in the flesh. How did he know that? Well, Jesus said that God must have revealed it to him. How was that revealed to him? How was Peter able to discern who Jesus really was while the crowds only had a skewed image of him? It was personal to Peter because I'm convinced that the crowds were following Jesus for what he could do for them. But Peter was following Jesus because, he, because of who he knew Jesus to be. It was personal for Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, Peter had, had, had been called personally by Jesus to follow him. And Peter had dropped his nets and in that dropped his whole lifestyle and, and his whole financial stability. And he left and he followed Jesus without turning back. 
And for the last two, two and a half years before this happened, that's what Peter had been doing. Uh, and, and Jesus gave Peter a new, a new name. So he was Simon, now he's Peter. He'd, he, Peter had heard Jesus' sermons and Peter had seen his miracles. But more than that, uh, Peter had seen the heart behind the sermon and the heart behind the miracles and, and, and seen Jesus' compassion. I, I picture late nights sitting around the fire and, and Jesus kind of bringing up, you know how I taught this and uh, this is what I, and this is where, and uh, you know, you're kind of struggling with and you need to, and, and these guys were with him. It was personal. They'd, they'd traveled the long, dusty roads. They'd, they'd uh, heard the life lessons. They, Jesus would point to something and, and teach, and it was just uh, amazing. And, and, and uh, Peter was not the same man that he had been before he met Jesus. They had laughed together. They had cried together. They probably argued some together. Not long before this, Peter had, had literally uh, stepped out of a boat in the middle of a lake to walk toward Jesus on the water, and he actually did it for a few steps before he began to sink, and Jesus was his savior right then and there and saved him from the waves. Jesus, Peter knew Jesus personally. He wasn't following for what Jesus could do for him. He was following because of who he knew Jesus to be. And through that close interaction... Peter knew Jesus was God in the flesh. And if, if you and I can get past the notion that, that Jesus is just here to make life good for us and begin to get to know him for who he is and how much he loves us, then we'll be able also to acknowledge that he is indeed the Son of God. He is our Savior. He is our Messiah. He is our Redeemer. So the question is still lingering, who is Jesus to you? We all have to answer that question because our eternal lives depend on it. Is he just a religious leader of days gone by? Is he just a character in a storybook that, that, that we read about on Sundays? Or is he your personal Savior, Christ, the Son of the living God? Author, theologian C.S. Lewis wrote in his epic work, Mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Who do you say Jesus is? On this, I am confident. The Bible is clear. Jesus is God's son. He loves you more than you will ever know. He wants you to know him personally. Uh, all of us have sinned and we have broken our connection with God. And we can't do anything to get that back but Jesus has paid that penalty by dying on 
the cross and he rose from the grave and he conquered death and he gives us eternal hope. He is the savior of the world and that is exactly what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. I told you that if the Bible was clear, I would be clear. Just a couple of of, uh, verses to point to of the hundreds where the Bible talks about who Jesus is and how he brings salvation. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. And verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Uh, Other questions we're going to address in in, uh, the coming weeks cover topics of behavior and ethics and, and theology and morality. And they're all very important, but they don't get any, any deeper than this one question. Who is Jesus to you? Do you know him personally? Can you say he is the Savior, the Son of the living God? A few years ago, on, uh, on Easter Sunday morning, uh, I was, uh, well, I won't say accosted at the back doors after the sermon, but uh, approached, and um, a gentleman talked to me with, uh, uh, with tears in his eyes, and uh, we met after that and talked. Anyway, I don't want to get into the whole story, but I want to invite James Anderson to come up and share a little bit about his story and how Jesus is making a difference in his life. Hello, everybody. I'm uh, James Anderson. I'm a believer in the great I am. It wasn't always that way, although I did have a good start. I started out in life. I was baptized a Catholic, communion, confirmation. I was even an altar boy. And I was quite active as a young man. I uh, was Cub Scout, uh, Indian Guide, which is like Cub Scout, Arrowhead, Arrow uh, Cadets, which is a military uh, drill team. I was good in school, all that, nothing, you know, it came easy. Uh, I better pull out my sheet before I start rattling. Because people that do know me know I can do that. So, uh, during all that activity, my parents uh, divorced. You know, it was pretty traumatic to me. You know, and slowly but surely, sin crept in. I mean... I was really rebellious, you know, and teenage years came, and uh, I just started running with the wrong crowd. I, you know, I wanted everything, anything, it didn't matter. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, the, you know the story, you know, I mean, sin was really working on me. I mean, I wanted everything, and it didn't matter. It took me all the wrong directions, I mean, I was in trouble with family, you know, and I lived in a family neighborhood, and I got yelled at, and they knew I got in trouble. I got whacked by everybody I went by. I mean, that's what they did back then. Didn't, didn't matter. I just got more rebellious. Well, then I around 16, you know, all those years went by. I'm just grabbing, grabbing, grabbing. 
I get trouble around 16. It wasn't far off from 17. It was so bad that the judge told me I had to get out of town. I had to go into service. So I go, you know, 17 wasn't far off. So he wrote me a letter of recommendation. I get into service, and I squandered that away. I was still rebellious. I mean, if you looked in the dictionary and you read the definition for rebellious, it would say C. James Anderson. I'm not kidding you. So I, you know, I get out of the military around 1984. I was 21 at the time. I don't know how I got out with an honorable discharge, but I did. The Lord was looking at me, but I was, you know, away from him. You know, he wasn't part of my life. It was sin, you know, I mean, sin. So years go by, and lo and behold, I get trouble law again. Imagine that, you know, I mean, me, 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 me. Everybody else, I didn't care. I wanted what I wanted, and if I had to run over you, I was running over you. Imagine a little guy like this. But I was mean and nasty. It still wasn't my fault that I got in trouble. It was somebody else's fault. You know, I mean, I was being harassed. That's, that's just the thinking. I was being harassed. Talk about denial. Uh, this time the judge gave me a choice. He goes, a year in prison, which would look at me. I wasn't going to make it through there. So, or probation and rehab. So I took that rehab route. Lord's blessed me, but I don't know it. I'm shunning him. I'm not, I don't care about the Lord. I'm, you know, he's the furthest thing from my mind. So I uh, take that rehab stint. I'm in the AA, and I cop the attitude with them. You know, they wouldn't give me any credit for my sobriety. I mean, none. It was all God's doing. And I was like, you guys are full of crap, man. I'm doing this. I said, you're not taking this accomplishment from me. I mean, I haven't done much in my life up until then, but that was an accomplishment. I mean, I was a wrench. My mom even wanted to, you know, kick me to the curb. It was close. So I've been sober since 2001. And during this period, I get a job in Cleveland. I had to move from Asheville out there to do my rehab anyways. And, you know, I thought, Life was good, but it really wasn't. I was missing something. I'm not sure what it was. I was missing happiness. I knew that much. <sighs> so I worked there for a few years you know, to 2006. And I get a phone call out of the blue. My boss from where I worked at Cleveland and moved down here to Akron asked me if I want to do a job down here, sanitation manager, gardener pie. I go, sure, three years, you know, three uh, interviews later, I get the job. The Lord still ain't looking at me. This is my doing. It's not the Lord. It's nobody else but me. You know, selfishness. It's just me. I become the sanitation manager, and I have to move again. You know, no one likes moving, but I did. So I started there. I met my wife there. I just didn't know at the time. Funny thing, I still wasn't happy. I got another position, still wasn't happy. I was missing something, just not sure what it was. A year or two passes, Kim and I start dating. So I decided I wanted to get married, so I asked her mother's hand in marriage, you know, old school in it. Her mother said, sure, she gave us her blessings. We'd get married, and I thought things were great. 
but it wasn't. Still had that feeling something was missing. I, I don't know what it was, you know, you, an emptiness. So I had come to church with the family, you know, because that's what good husbands did. They went to church with the family on religious holidays. So uh, then it happened in 2014. I knew I was coming to church. And I found myself wanting whatever it was I was missing. You know, a peace of mind, a calm to this, this turmoil. Something was tearing me apart. I wanted happiness. Easter morning comes, knowing I have to come here. My eyes open up. I don't give my wife a good morning kiss. I don't say anything to her, but this is what comes out of my mouth. And I quote, if this guy doesn't show me something today, I am through with him. So we come to church, and you know how someone's talking to you in a speech or you know, a sermon, and they're talking right at you? Well, Pastor Pete was hitting every button. Boy, I tell you, I became, I started crying. And when I grew up as a man, I was taught men don't cry. That's a sign of weakness. So it was like something was lifting off my heart that day, a heavy burden. So I had finally found what I had been looking for, searching for, longing for, and that's the Lord. Thank you, Lord. He wasn't hiding anything like that. He was always around, just waiting for me to stop making these horrible choices throughout my life and become a believer once again. Now I can look back and count the blessings. There are some that come to mind. These are all because of the Lord. My wife, being able to provide for my wife and I, being able to provide for my mother, my handicapped brother, Ruth, my stepdaughters, my son and his family, Pastor Pete, and all of you that I know to come here. You guys are quite the people, I tell you that. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not no saint. And I have a lot of work to do in the life, my life with the Lord. Because without him, nothing in my life would be possible today. Thank you for your patience. Powerful stuff. Just one example of what can happen in our lives when we know who Jesus is, really is. So what's your story with Jesus? Do you have one? Do you know him personally? He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. So what do we do with all of this? We can, we can just go home and eat ham and candy and take a nap and chalk it up to another Easter, right? Or we can respond in our hearts to the question, who is Jesus to me? If, if we, as, as we read in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've not done that, boy, Easter Sunday would be a great time. If you have, but maybe you feel like you've drifted, boy, Easter Sunday's a great time to get back on track. When we do that, as we read, 
in Corinthians. We are a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. And that can happen for each and every one of us. Father God, Lord, if there is anyone here today and they feel you knocking at the door of their hearts and Lord, I pray that you'll give them the courage, even in the quiet of this moment, from their heart to your hearts, to say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living. I, I want to have that relationship with you. I want you to change me from the inside out. Lord, I pray that you would do a supernatural, transforming work in the lives of each and every person here today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. 